Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Family Renewal Podcast. I'm Israel Wayne. And I'm Brooke Wayne. We just wanted to invite you to part two of this discussion on the church. We talked about in the last episode uh, some characteristics of a healthy church, and we're going to continue that discussion today. And so we're grateful that you've joined us. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the first broadcast, you can go to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network or wherever you found this podcast and listen to part one of this episode. We're so far out away from the seeing the practice of church discipline in so many of our churches that it seems like a foreign concept to mm-hmm. us. One of the things that we found with some of the churches that don't have membership is that they basically don't exercise church discipline, and that becomes an issue. I'm just going to say that you know you could have let's say a couple who is let's say you have a married couple, and the guy is a, uh, a regular attendee of your church. He's been attending your church for five years, and he's been married for twenty years. And then the next Sunday, he comes with another woman who is not his wife. I mean, this is a real-life scenario. I actually know of a situation where this happened. And so the next Sunday, there he is, uh, and he's there with another woman, not his wife, got his arm around her, and they just start coming to church, and it's this couple. Now, biblically, that is a violation of the commandment in Galatians 5 and in Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 about adultery. Uh, and the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels on adultery. And so this person who is doing this, they are in defiance to the Word of God. They're committing adultery if they're living with this woman, which is the case in, in this one situation I'm thinking of in particular. Um, what does the church do in that situation? Um, if that person is not a part of the church, it would, could be very difficult to... Um, to say something to them or to, to have them put out of the church because they can say, well, we're, we're not a part of this church. Does that make sense? So I think that's the struggle um, with this issue of membership. Or, you know, let's say that you have a church where um, one Sunday a homosexual couple comes in together. They walk in holding hands. You know, two men come in or two women come in holding hands and they're clearly a couple. Would you meet them at the door and say, you're not welcome in our church, you can't come here? Most churches wouldn't. I, mean, I know some would, but most churches would not say, you can't come here, because I think the assumption would be these people are not believers, um, they need to hear the Word of God, and hopefully the hearing of the Word of God will be something that convicts them. But um, would these people be allowed to partake of the Lord's table? No. Um, would they be allowed to teach an adult Sunday school class or, or, or uh, you know, teach a marriage class or jo- join the deacon board or whatever? Uh, no. Um, why? Because um, th- that's where I think membership creates that, that line where you have the ability to exercise church discipline. 
and um, church discipline is a sign of a, a mark of a healthy church. So um, let's just go through real quickly some of those that we've already covered. We'll just kind of uh, recap here. We have preaching, biblical theology, the gospel, conversion. Uh, I, I would use the word uh, regeneration mm-hmm. rather than conversion. I think regeneration is a better word. Evangelism. Um, membership, discipline, and then uh, discipleship. Um, discipleship we've already kind of touched on. What comes to your mind when you think of the the topic of discipleship, or what are some ways that you see that uh, discipleship can be fostered uniquely in a local church setting that perhaps um, wouldn't happen in other contexts? I think I primarily think about um, someone who is more experienced or older in walking through life in a godly way with godly perspective with good character passing that on in some way shape or form one of the um maybe my favorite way i've seen that expressed was a church down in oklahoma that we had the privilege of spending about a week at and this church was fairly well located near each other. So there was a lot of interactions during the week, but they had this special program called Meant to Be, and it was a mentorship for the girls. And so it was the older women in the church, the moms, but kind of more even the grandma ages, leading the girls through homemaking skills, um, crafts, with a Bible study, and then they would in turn, like one of the times I think they made a pillowcase. They taught the girls how to make a pillowcase. So the girls each made themselves a pillowcase. Then they made an extra pillowcase, and they took that to uh, somebody, a shut-in at a a nursing home. And I just thought that's a neat, out-of-the-box kind of program that they had developed, and just on a weekly basis to meet. A lot of times, I think Bible studies are supposed to be that kind of discipleship place. I know uh, prayer meetings are supposed to be kind of that joining together of the older people in the church, the more experienced, more mature, helping lead the younger people in how to pray. So many times I see within American churches these things disintegrating into gossip sessions, but that's another story. Uh, but there's there's ways I think that the church is supposed to be just a fertile soil where mentorship or discipleship can happen. And it's something that both sides, you know, the older, more experienced, and then the younger uh, needing to grow, need to both be interested in. And, and then that provides that opportunity for them to at least meet. It takes some vulnerability, though. Oh, yeah. Because I think a lot of people, particularly, maybe I shouldn't pick on them, but it seems to me a lot of millennials are very afraid of real relationships. Mm -hmm. They don't mind the virtual social media relationships because if someone offends you or says something you don't like, you can just ban them from your life and you you never see them again. It's very neat and tidy on Facebook. But it's very difficult to do that when you're seeing them the next Sunday as well. And so I think the, the risk of opening up to real relationships is something that scares certain people. Um, the final one that they mention is leadership. And this is something that I know a lot of people, again, they, they've kind of uh, embraced this view that church is flat, or it's supposed to be in terms of um, there's not supposed to be recognized leaders. And a lot of that comes out of a postmodern worldview where uh, we don't have authority structure. And, right. and the, the organic church movement, as they call it, is very big on this, that there's no hierarchy, there's no structure, there's no formality, there's no leadership. 
uh, basically there's a total egalitarian aspect to church life. And uh, yet the scripture talks about in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, biblical qualifications for elders and deacons. I would encourage you to go through, if you haven't done so or haven't done so in a while, and read the qualifications that are listed for elders and deacons in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Um, Very strict. Um, My view is that those qualifications um, are specifically expressed to men. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason, I mean, there's more than one reason, but one very clear reason. It says they're to be the husband of one wife. And in the Greek, it's definitely masculine and feminine when it's speaking of husband and wife. So it's speaking very specific of gender roles there. Not that men are better than women, not that men are smarter than women, not that men are even better teachers than women, um, but that God has established the men to be the elders and deacons. Now, the scripture does talk about deaconesses as well. My personal view is that the deacons and their wives served together uh, because we know that the deacons were married in scripture. Um, because they were to be the husband of one wife. And so, as married deacons, I think their wives served with them. So, you had deacons and deaconesses. Um, and deacon and deaconess just basically means servant. They're not church leaders in the way that we think of it. They don't run the church in terms of authority structure. They aren't teachers in the body. Uh, but they provide for the needs of the church. So, when there's delivery of food or uh, f- supplying financial need or in some way meeting physical needs of the body. That's a role of a deacon. The elders were primarily focused on teaching the scriptures and um, in providing leadership and governance uh, for, the, for the church. And so um, not everybody is qualified to be an elder, and most men aren't qualified. It's, it's not, uh, you know, it's just that women are discriminated against in this aspect of church eldership, but that that most men are discriminated against. It's a very narrow, uh, very highly defined list of criteria uh, that only a select number of people are allowed to uh, be in that position. And the scripture tells us that not many should aspire to uh, that. It says if we do, it's a good thing. It's a noble call. But at the same time, not many should seek to be teachers because we'll be held to a stricter judgment. And uh, so, this is a very specific um, place within the body that God has established. And so, the scripture speaks very clearly to that. Now, what's interesting, a little side tangent, um, within our current evangelical Christian American church system, we have developed a whole plethora of job descriptions that are not found in scripture. In fact, most of the things that we that we talk about in church are not really found in the scripture as ideas. And there's so many things that are just conceptually not in the New Testament at all. So even the word pastor, for example, the word pastor appears one time in the entire New Testament. Only once is the word used. And it's just mentioned in that context of God gave uh, pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists to do the work to prepare the saints to do the work of the ministry. So it's in, given in a list of five ministry uh, functions, and there's no definition that's given to the word pastor. Hmm. And yet we have created an entire theology and an entire industry around the role of pastor. And as I go to some of these ma- major churches, I walk down the hallways and I see pastor, assistant pastor, associate pastor, youth pastor, children's pastor, Mm -hmm. 
Administrative um, pastor? Yeah, just on and on and on. You see, uh, I, I met a guy in California who was an, an IT pastor. I said, what, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I'm the information technology pastor here at the church. I said, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> and he was telling me how he keeps the servers and the church going and all that. And, um, you know, we just created this whole infrastructure that comes out of the corporate world, really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, other things that, that we could get into as well. But um, even Sunday schools and youth groups and uh, all these segregated ministries within the church, they're not condemned in Scripture, but they certainly are not explained. They're not promoted. They're not mentioned. Uh, the early church didn't do them. Um, and the early church, churches just came together as a church. And the church was actually considered everybody of all ages. So the 90-year-olds and the 2-year-olds and everybody in between, and the, the babies, they'd all come together and they were the body. They were the church. You didn't have a youth church and a children's church and a singles church and a grandparents church. You just mm-hmm. didn't have that kind of thing. You had the church, um, which kind of leads us to another interesting aspect. Um, there is a concept that is called a family integrated church, and, and it just kind of goes back to the New Testament model. Everybody just worships together as opposed to having all these different segregated gatherings. And... Um, there's a network of these churches that you can uh, visit, and the website is called ncfic.org, ncfic.org. It's the National Center for Family Integrated Churches. And uh, this organization represents churches from different denominational backgrounds, and um, so they have their confession or their creed or whatever it is that they hold to uh, on their website. But there's a directory there that you can go and if you're interested in learning more about that kind of a model, um, that's a site that I would recommend. Um, I would uh, recommend as well the church search on uh, the ninemarks.org website. Right. Both of these have maps or all yeah, these ways to locate churches within your area. Where you can find them. Um, and, and it's interesting that you know there are churches that I think all have pros and cons, you know. Uh, the the Calvary Chapel website, for example, they have a, a church finder on their website, and um, I speak in a lot of Calvary Chapel churches, and and I love the fact that they have that verse by verse expository Bible teaching. But as a national organization, um, they say on their website that they don't allow children under the age of twelve to attend the regular services; that the children have to be off in another room. Now, some local churches don't don't enforce that. And so there are local churches where you can have your children in the main service, but but as a rule, they have a policy that children aren't to to worship uh, in the main gathering. Uh, boy, I, I think scripturally that would be incredibly hard to defend. I mean, what comes to my mind immediately is where the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, when the disciples sought to do that, said, "Keep the children out of the meeting because they're they're noisy and they might disrupt. Uh, you know, they might distract somebody or they might interrupt the recording." That's not exactly what they said, but that's essentially what they were going for. That uh, Jesus said, let the children stay. Let them be here. Uh, Don't hinder them. Don't send them away because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Um, Jesus was absolutely an advocate for having the children be part of the regular worship service and, and the teaching as well. And so um, these are considerations. You know, not yeah. everybody uh, has will put the same emphasis on these things. But 
I guess uh, what I would say is, you know, this uh, Nine Marks is certainly a great website to go to and uh, to talk about what might be some irreducibly complex components of a healthy church and to begin to look and see, are there any churches like this in your area? Um, I would recommend if you are thinking of going to a church that you go to their website and you listen to like four sermons before you even bother to go. Um, We did this a year ago when we were looking for a church in our area. We live in Michigan, and uh, we had our church close about a year ago, and we had to find a different church. And um, so I went online and listened to some sermons from different churches here and there. And one of the churches that I uh, listened to was a, a church that I thought that I might be able to be compatible with theologically. And in four sermons that I listened to, the pastor never opened his Bible, or quoted a scripture once in four weeks. And no mention of the gospel really wasn't that the one well, that the, was all about two, giving? Yeah, there were two two sermons on giving money to the church, and the next two sermons were they were having revival meetings coming up, and two services were on inviting friends to the revival meetings. And so in four weeks, there was no discussion of scripture at all. It was just you need to start giving more money to the church, and you start inviting your friends. Um, which is another great argument for expository verse-by-verse Bible teaching, <laughs> where you wouldn't go a month without hearing the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, I'm just not terribly concerned with or impressed with or interested in somebody's opinion. I want to know what God says. And so I would say now so many churches have their sermons online, uh, either audio streaming or video content, and you can go and listen and and check it out. And if it sounds good and the message is Bible-centered and uh, it's on target, be a Berean. Uh, this is the Bereans were more noble than the other believers, that they would get their Bible out and they would fact-check the Apostle Paul and the others, and they would find out if what they were saying was true, if it lined up with the Scripture. We should be like that. And so if it lines up with Scripture, then you, you may want to go and check, check it out and see what it's like. Um, no church is perfect. And if it was, when you get there, it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> the fact is, uh, you know, I used to say this on the way to church on Sunday morning. Uh, I would say very loudly in the van as I was driving, uh, To I would say this to my family. I would say, of all the people in our church, I think I am the most likely to cause dissension and disunity uh, and to create uh, conflict in our church. And the reason I said that is just, I don't know if that was actually, you know, empirically, scientifically verifiable or not, but I said it to myself as a reminder that um, I shouldn't go there with the mentality of um, looking down my nose at other people there and and feeling like these people aren't meeting my needs and um, they have problems and they have issues, but to realize that... um, I have problems and I have issues and uh, I'm, I'm the most likely person there to become offended or disgruntled or uh, cr- say something unkind or create conflict or whatever. And so I think if we had that mentality, we would have less crisis within the church, mm-hmm. you know, where we realize that church is not so much about what I get out of it yeah. as much as what can I give and, yeah. and not just what do I need which is, I think, what most people think about when they think about church. You know, what do I need, and are they meeting my needs? But um, how can I help meet other people's needs? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's a huge factor. And, and if we are always looking at, well, what do I get out of this? How, does, how do I get out of this? We're very critical and analytical in that department. But if we can come to church, whether that's a, a meeting or a gathering of the believers and look for ways, how can we serve? How can we build up others in the body of Christ? Our perspective can be drastically changed. The The problem I think we can have of saying, well, the church is, you know, this is an imperfect church. An imperfect church uh, is one yeah, they're all imperfect, but one that is going to be bad is one that is going to tear apart a family. And if it's doing that, or if it's softening you to, towards the world, that's a problem. Yeah, I think where a church is tolerating sin, mm-hmm. where there is uh, known unrepentant sin that right. is being tolerated by the church or being practiced, especially by the church leadership, mm-hmm. or where there's false doctrine that's being taught. Um, where there is arrogance on the part of the church leadership, um, those are issues. And, you know, one of the things that I ask myself is, I ask myself, if the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit don't bother to show up at that church meeting on Sunday morning, why why would I? (laughs) And I think in many cases that's true. I think the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, they have no interest whatsoever in what's going on there because it's not ultimately about God. It's ultimately right. about um, some some humanistic religious idolatry. And um, an apostate church is not better than no church. You, you should um, continue to pray that God will bring you to the right place where he wants you because I believe he wants you to be part of the body. He wants you to be connected locally with other believers. You need them and they need you. So if you don't have a church or you're in a church and you feel like it's not where God wants you to be, pray about it and ask God, please show us, direct us. We've had to do that. We've had long stretches where we were without a church and it's not a fun place to be. Um, But over time, God kind of showed us where he wanted us to be. And I've even come to the point now where I, I really think I would consider moving if I had to, if I lived in an area where there just were no good churches at all, um, I think I would move. And uh, we were just out west in a state that I'll leave unnamed. Uh, but it was one of these desolate states where there aren't too many people who live there and just long open spaces between cities. And we are in a little town that probably had maybe six or 700 people. It was about 20 miles from that town to the next town. And in this little town, they had a a Roman Catholic church. I think they had some kind of a liberal United Methodist or Lutheran church that I think was uh, pastored by a woman who does homosexual marriages. And and I think maybe there was uh, like a Unitarian Universalist church, which is not even a Christian church. It's like a New Age church kind of group and um that was it you know there just weren't any bible believing uh christ honoring churches in the area that really taught the gospel and that that met any portion of these nine marks of a healthy church and so um man if i lived somewhere like that i would seriously consider moving um i would i would think you know either god wants us to be part of trying to start a church in this area, or pray, you pray that God will build one up, um, or 
or maybe we need to go someplace else. Mm. But I just see how difficult it is. Uh, and I don't want to give the impression that if somebody is in a situation like that, that they're not true Christians, they're not true believers. They are. I mean, they love the Lord, but man, you're you're alone out there in the wilderness, and that, that's not what the Scripture encourages. It doesn't encourage us to uh, live like that, just removed from sound Bible teaching. It, so so see if we can wrap this up a little bit. Um, what is it that people um, can't get online that they need to get in the local church? The preaching of the Word you can get on YouTube, and you can get it on the radio. Um, there are lots of archived sermons that you can listen to. Or read. Uh, or, or read, you know. And so those are places that you can... Uh, tap into. But I think there is something about physically going and sitting and listening mm-hmm. to a sermon that has value to it. I know for myself, um, sometimes I, I'm i in a situation where I can listen and not be distracted, but I'm often trying to multitask. And um, if I'm multitasking, I'm only half paying attention. And so I think I get far less out of the sermons than if I, if I go and I sit and I listen and take notes and, you know, I'm really fully engaged. Right. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, there's tremendous value to, to sitting with the believers and listening to the teaching of the Word. So that's one thing. Communion is certainly something, the taking of the Lord's table, something that cannot be facilitated online. Uh, baptism is something that, uh, while the Scripture doesn't command that it happen within the context of local church exclusively, um, I, I think that's something that uh, is, is best practiced in a community with other believers. And... Um, and that's something you can't do on online. Social media can't provide baptism. Um, fellowship, you can get various forms of fellowship outside of local church. Uh, and sometimes, frankly, depending on how bad the local church is, and there are some really bad local churches out there, um, maybe you don't get local church fellowship. Maybe it's one of those things where everybody goes to the service and then afterward they all run to their car and try to beat the Methodists <laughs> to the restaurant. And that could happen, and so maybe you don't get to know people in your church. Um, that's a problem. I guess I would say that um, you can never replace the real relationships with real people. Um, when you're sick and someone brings you a, a casserole or they you know, come over and, and, and drive you to the doctor for your appointment or when you break your leg and they come and mow your lawn, you know, those kinds of things that happen ideally within a local church context where the body really meets the physical needs of another member of the body, you just can't replace that. And um, especially not with social media. Corporate worship is something that I think you really can't replace um, the local fellowship for. To right. gather together with other believers, to lift up your voices in song, uh, praying together as a body with with other people, um, meeting together and seeking the Lord and praying uh, together as a church. Um, those are things that I just don't think there's an easy way to find a, a duplication for that. Right. You need the body. And all of those things can be met in some ways with friendships with other local mm-hmm. Christians. The one thing that um, I think we neglect because we don't like it as Christians in America is accountability. Um, we don't want accountability. We don't like accountability. Well, we find it awkward. Yeah. We would rather somebody not be in our business. 
and we'd rather be anonymous and hide and all of that. Accountability cannot happen online. It cannot happen even in friendship. Um, outside of church authority, um, I just don't see that uh, that we can really be completely fulfilling the requirements of Scripture. And so church discipline and accountability are things that I just don't think um, there's any other context besides the local church where that really works effectively. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's being very vulnerable and and kind of admitting, I may need this at some point. And that's very humbling. Right. But one other thing I would add to your list there is the aspect for our children, if they see us investing in the local church, being part of a church, they, they see a sense of, Wow, mom and dad admit they have things to learn, that they're growing, that they're learning. And um, sometimes I think for some families, it can be easy to develop a, well, we've heard all this stuff before. We've heard all these sermons for years and years, and we're just going to tough it out at home because this church doesn't meet up to our standards. But I think there's a powerful testimony that can be uh, presented for our children in realizing Christianity is much more than just our family life than just our little home church, so to speak. But it reaches far beyond that. And then seeing their parents actively pursue being accountable to the local church, to um, governing board of, of elders. I am not a church leader. I'm not in any formal church leadership capacity and really never have been. Um, I travel around and speak around the country. I speak at conferences. I teach. I write books. Um, but one of the things that's been important for me is uh, when I'm home, when I'm off the road, that I have my children sit with me on Sunday and listen to the teaching of the Word of God, and they see their dad sit and listen to the Scripture, and they realize that I am accountable, that I'm under the authority of the church, that I'm under the authority of the Word of God, um, and that I see this as a priority. I don't want my children to have the idea that uh, because I write books on theology or that I speak at churches and so on, that I don't need the local church myself, that I know more than they do and I got it all figured out. I think that's important because as they get older and as they become young adults and start their own families and all that, I want to have modeled for them their need for accountability and Mm -hmm. their need for uh, the local body and to be a part of that. And, um, it's against the grain right now. In our culture, I think people take a very low view of church. Yeah. And yet, I believe Christ and the apostles took an extremely high view of church. Right. Um, n- not all the trappings of American culture that have come into church. Mm-hmm. And certainly, there's an awful lot of that. Like I said, there's so many things that that we do that aren't even in the Bible. Um, but that doesn't negate the need for church. I don't think we ever have the right to say that because there are abuses of the practice of of how we do church, that therefore church isn't important. Or because there are church leaders who do something wrong or aren't perfect or, or sin or whatever, that we don't need church. Or the fact that someone in the church treated us wrong one time or, or whatever, that we don't need church. Um, we, we need the body. We need each other. And, and the scripture says, how can you say... Uh, as members of the body, I'm I'm a hand and I don't need you because you're a foot. We need each other. I think those were really good words. Yeah, I was excited about 
you know, our discussion just we had privately before we did this podcast about these marks. And it makes for maybe a good um, a list to go over with your children. So thank you for letting us share on this topic of church. I encourage you, if you're interested in uh, Bible study, to check out two books that I've written, Questions God Asks, Unlocking the Wisdom of Eternity, and Questions Jesus Asks, Where Divinity Meets Humanity. These are topical Bible studies, Questions God Asks going through the Old Testament and Questions Jesus Asks going through the New Testament. These topical Bible studies are great for your own personal daily devotions or uh, as a family read aloud. You could do this as a supplement to family worship. They also make great group studies. If you're part of a small group in a church, I encourage you to check those out. You can find them at our website, familyrenewal.org. If you're not on our email list, we would encourage you to do that as well. You can sign up at familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe. We send out one email update a month, and we also then can let you know whenever we are in your area. Um, You can also join our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Family Renewal. And I'm I'm at family, uh, sorry, facebook.com forward slash Israel Wayne author. You can also look me up on Twitter. Um, You can, that's at at Israel Wayne. And uh, I'm also on Pinterest. And you can look up Family Renewal on Instagram. So uh, lots of ways to connect with us via social media. And we hope that you will continue to listen to us here on this uh, podcast, uh, the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Thank you for listening.